All right. Last question, Nathan. If you had to choose tomorrow to do a cruise on Royal Caribbean or a cruise on Disney, which cruise would you do? This is a hard decision. Welcome back to another episode of the DCL Duo podcast brought to you by My Path Unwinding Travel. I'm going to be your host today, but my guest is someone you all know very well. It is my co-host, my partner, my husband, Brian. Welcome to the show, Brian. It's great to be back. So today we're going to talk to Brian about the Royal Caribbean cruise that he and Nathan just took over Memorial Day weekend. We're going to do a little bit of a trip report and find out all of the different activities they got up to on the Independence of the Seas, as well as at Coco Key. As everyone knows, I'm going to call it Coco Key. I don't care that Royal calls it Coco Key. And so we thought we would do this as a, uh, an episode where I host and ask Brian some questions. So Brian, why don't we start with the booking process for Royal uh, and tell us maybe some of the differences between booking for Royal versus booking on Disney Cruise Line. So the booking process was relatively easy for me because I used a travel agent to book this cruise. We had a placeholder with Royal Caribbean or not a placeholder. I don't know what they call it, but we had a cruise credit with Royal Caribbean off of a cruise that we couldn't take. And so I just had it moved over to this one. I thought a key difference though between Royal Caribbean and Disney was that moving a cruise around actually cost me like a change fee of some sort. And so I thought that was a little annoying. I, I prefer Disney's method of, you know, you can kind of shift the cruise around at your leisure if you need to. Um, so I was a little frustrated by that. We also encountered some interesting accounting difficulties with Royal Caribbean on the front end of this cruise where they had actually, we had booked a cruise on, I think it was Harmony of the Seas and they moved that cruise over to Wonder of the Seas. And then when I moved it to the Independence of the Seas, they wanted to charge me not one change fee, but two. They said they hadn't ever collected the change fee for the switch from Harmony to Wonder. And it took our travel agent a little bit of time, actually quite a bit of time to sort out the fact and demonstrate to Royal Caribbean that in fact, they were the ones who had changed the ship. We had not moved our cruise, but that did get sorted out, paid a little bit of a change fee on the front end. I think the other biggest difference with Royal Caribbean was uh, not in the booking process, but in the activity kind of booking stuff that happens before a cruise. Obviously, we're all familiar with Disney Cruise Line and how regimented the activity booking windows are and what you can book. With Royal, it was fairly kind of free flowing. And so at the time I booked the cruise, there wasn't a ton available. But as the months went on between when I booked and when the cruise was becomes available. I could book all kinds of stuff, drink packages, internet. I know we had a show earlier this week about uh, some of the things you could book on Royal. But one thing that was really different that we talked about, I think on that show too, was the key program that gave you early entry onto the ship and some other special amenities on board, which I also purchased. So ahead of the cruise, uh, lots of stuff to book, but it didn't feel as regimented as Disney. It was just like what was there is what you could book. And I think things occasionally went on discount. I saw some 35% off sales before the cruise on you know things like spa treatments and internet packages and stuff like that. The other key difference being that Royal charges you at the time you buy all this stuff. So it's not like you get charged when you get on board. It's, it's all pre-purchased. 
lots of differences, I think, between Disney and Royal in terms of what you do beforehand, in terms of what we bought just going into the cruise. So, you know, and I I, I will look up the numbers as we're sitting here talking because I want to sort of compare what the total price was for this cruise versus what we've typically paid on Disney. So in terms of what we booked pre-cruise, uh, I did book the key for both Nathan and I, which got us early access boarding, special lunch, which we can talk about in a second. I think it gave us the internet package on board or I had to buy that separately. I can't remember which. We also pre-purchased a soda package for Nathan uh, and a drink package for me, which I think would also we can talk about more in a minute. And we bought water park tickets, which were quite expensive, but we bought water park tickets for Perfect Day at Coco Cay uh, so we could experience the water park. And I think that's just about everything we booked pre-cruise. Oh, and leading up to the cruise, actually about a week beforehand, I went on and saw that they had a, an escape room on the ship. And so I did book that. And that was like another $89 fee or something like that for the escape room. And I guess we can talk about that in a second too. I should also say the check-in process was fairly quick. In fact, it was much smoother and faster than Disney. It was literally one screen of information for me and one screen of information for Nathan. There was no pre-form stuff or fill out these forms for your kid before you got on the boat. It was like literally passport scan, which scanned really fast and got all the information right off the passport for both me and Nathan and like agree to some terms and you were done. And then you got the boarding passes that you could throw in your Apple wallet. And then several days later, I think a day before the cruise left, we had to go back online to do our health questionnaire, kind of similar to what we do for Disney. Then we were cleared for check-in and that was that was it. Getting on board the ship was just having those boarding passes and we were ready to go. So that brings us to embarkation day. Let's talk about the embarkation process and then what you get up to first when you get on board the independence of the seas. Yeah. So Nathan and I got in late the night before. We stayed at the MCO Hyatt uh, the night before. And then we had some friends meeting us, actually uh, a friend of ours and his sons. It was a father-son weekend. Met them at the airport, grabbed a rental car, drove out to the port. Actually, for the first time, I got to eat at one of the restaurants there right along the port area. Uh, we grabbed breakfast beforehand at a restaurant that was like right next door to the Independence of the Seas and the parking garage. So we just showed up there uh, and had breakfast. Getting into the port was smooth, very similar to what Disney has. You kind of rolled into the parking garage, their luggage drop off and everything was inside the parking garage. And so we rolled in. We actually didn't drop our luggage. Um, that's one other thing I guess I should mention about pre-cruise. They don't send you luggage tags. You just print your luggage tags off at home. And they're paper tags that you fold and then you can staple them together. They sell plastic sleeves on Amazon for the luggage tags for Royal and Carnival because they're apparently, I think, two different shapes for different groups of cruise lines. So we did buy these plastic sleeves that came with uh, metal holders that you put onto your luggage or uh, to use to attach them to your luggage. So we didn't drop our luggage because we had some reshuffling to do with the luggage and the carry-ons. And so we parked. Went downstairs, dropped luggage, and then headed into the terminal. I will say parking at Royals parking lot was kind of a nightmare. Um, it was not a nightmare, but we had to park on the very top of the roof. And they had very, very few elevators for the number of people who were trying to board the ship. I think it was two elevators on the parking garage roof deck. And so we had to take the elevators because we had the luggage with us. If we hadn't, we, we had dropped the luggage beforehand. We would have just walked down the stairs. Got into the terminal. We had key access, as I mentioned before. So we got to bypass all the lines. It did look like there were fairly sizable lines to get through security. We breezed through security 
fairly quickly, headed upstairs, and then there was a large terminal area. And again, lots of check-in desks up there, but we had a special desk to check in for the key. Took us no time at all. And for the key program, if you arrive between 11.30 and noon, you get right on board the ship. So we got onto the ship. My friend said they do enforce fairly well the port arrival times for Royal Caribbean in terms of when you can check in at the port and get on the ship. So they stagger it out. Uh, so they have a you know pretty steady stream of people flowing onto the, the ship. It's not like a crunch all at, at once. But we got right onto the ship, boarded onto, you know, like the Lido deck, I'll call it, outside. Immediately, they do a virtual muster drill. So we had to watch a few videos while we were at breakfast. And so we watched those videos and checked the boxes and they got marked complete. And then we had to go to our muster station and they scanned our boarding pass or entered our room number. I forget which, but we found our muster station. They scanned whatever they needed to scan and we were done and complete. And so then we headed over to the dining room and... The key program gave us a benefit where we could drop our carry-on luggage at the dining room and they tagged it and took it to our stateroom pretty quickly. Uh, It was there waiting for us when our staterooms were ready. Staterooms were not ready when we got on board. They weren't ready until 1 or 1.30 thereabouts. They made an announcement over the PA that they were ready. So got on board, got our luggage dropped, and then we headed into the main dining room for the key lunch. I want to hear first impressions of the ship as you're sort of wandering around one probably to get your bearings a little bit, but also to find your muster station and then find the main dining room. You know, tell us what, what were your first impressions of the independence of the seas? So my first impression was like, we're on a ship, right? And so not like, I feel like Disney's like a cruise liner. Like this felt like we're on a ship. Once I got inside, my initial impression, which changed a little over time, but my initial impression was I'm in a shopping mall. There was really no connection between the interior of the ship from deck five to the outside world. It was a large cavernous kind of, I don't want to call it an atrium, but I mean, I guess that's what it is. But it went from, you know, bow to stern and they had inward facing staterooms that were considered like inside view staterooms. And they looked down onto the the mall and the interior of the ship. Lots of, you know, like neon and, you know, chrome or, you know, other kind of silver metals and accents. And so it just, it felt like a mall, lots of stores on floor five, which is where we entered. There was a floor below that that had quote unquote champagne bar, which, you know, not as nice as or themed out as ooh la la, but it had the sports bar, had the casino. I think the ice rink was down there, but it was just one long central hallway with huge floors on either side going up with windows and staterooms. And then the fifth floor was restaurants, snacks, spots, and shops, basically. So my first impression was I felt like I was kind of in a floating mall. All right. Tell us about lunch and in the main dining room. One, what did it look like? I know you had some pictures on our Instagram stories and and hopefully we can share some of those uh, when this episode comes out. But tell us what the main dining room looked like and what the food was like as compared to, let's say, main dining on Disney Cruise Line. I need to preface this by saying uh, the lunch we had was actually a special lunch for the key. And there are, I think it's three, but someone can yell at me and correct me if I'm wrong. There's three specialty restaurants on board. So there was a hibachi grill, the name of which is escaping me. We just called it the hibachi grill. So there was a hibachi grill. There was an Italian restaurant called Giovanni's and there's a steakhouse called Chops. And so for embarkation day lunch, most people just go to the buffet in Windjammer, uh, I believe it's called. 
And we'll we can talk about the buffet in a minute. The sit-down lunch for the key is actually kind of catered by Chops Grill. And so it's meant to be kind of a special upscale lunch offering for folks who paid for the key program. The menu was very limited. It was like, I want to say two appetizers, like a Caesar salad and a shrimp cocktail. And you had three choices of entree. I want to say it was like a filet, a another steak and a burger, a cheeseburger with fries. And then there were like three desserts. I want to say one was like a, maybe a cheesecake. There were some ice cream options and some other things. Since we had only had breakfast a couple hours before, we we skipped the appetizers, just went straight for the main course. And then Nathan had some ice cream and I I skipped the dessert. I did not think that this upscale lunch was any better than what I would get for, you know, main dining food on Disney Cruise Line. The burger was good. I don't want to say that it wasn't good. Uh, the burger was good. Nathan and I both enjoyed our burger. Uh, our two traveling companion friends had steaks. They ordered the medium and they came out mooing. Um, but the dining room itself is a big difference from Disney Cruise Line. So I know we talk a lot about rotational dining on the show. For Royal, it's one main dining room and that's it. And they have the dining room covers floors three, four, and five, I believe. So it's a multi-story dining room. It's very ornate. And it, the, the pictures that Sam mentioned, you can see it's, it's, it's very elegant looking dining room. It's very lovely and nice, but lots of tables and everyone's eating in the same dining room. And if you have any time dining, I think you show up to one floor. We had an eight o'clock dining time, main dining time. And so we would have showed up you know, to another floor where our table was. They did have a special chef's table that's set on its own little balcony and cost extra money if you wanted to do it. Um, the decor was you know, very sort of elegant. It's not themed out like Disney would theme something out. So it's just kind of an elegant dining room experience. The two comments I had on our two experiences in main dining... We ate there for lunch and embarkation day. We ate there for breakfast on disembarkation day, which we can talk about at the end. But that attention to detail that Disney has around its spaces was really lacking in the main dining room, at least. Uh, they had leather back chairs that were frayed everywhere. I mean, it wasn't like one or two. It was like all of them. It didn't look like the chairs had been replaced in a while and they had been beat up pretty heavily from people moving between them. Um, the other thing was just the service. Like It was not, not especially great. Uh, from the main dining room. So they had, you know, a couple of servers serving the key lunch. It took a while for someone to come order our drinks, take our drink order. In fact, the main server took our food order and put it in. And then someone came to give us water and I asked if we could order drinks and they said someone else would be around and then they weren't. And so it took a while for drinks to come. When drinks were served, like beer was served in a bottle. Like they just gave us a bottle of beer, didn't bother to bring us a glass to pour it into. And in such an elegant setting, I would have thought that maybe they would have poured the beer in a glass or offered a draft beer or something like that. They didn't. You know, food came out. It was fine. Uh, not a lot of interaction with the servers. You're seated at, you know, we were seated at a table. So it's kind of like being at Disney Cruise Line for the embarkation day sit down lunch. You probably aren't going to be, you know, with the servers who are going to serve you in main dining. So we didn't get to experience that. I did talk to a couple who said that, you know, they had done main dining all three nights and, you know, it was perfectly lovely and they liked their servers. So I, I just you know, want to be clear. I didn't experience the true main dining, but the main dining experiences that I did have were kind of meh. 
All right, let's talk about what you guys got up to on that first day on embarkation day. Does Royal have a sail away party? Um, and if so, did you go to it? And what stuff did you sort of check out and decide to do that first day? So Royal did have a sail away party and we thought we were perfectly positioned for sail away party up on the upper pool deck. It's not like Disney where they have like a big stage set up. They had a tiny little stage and I'm not sure what the sail away party entailed because they decided to move the sail away party from the pool deck to the interior mall space. (laughs) And so we were already up on the pool deck and we decided not to try to book it down there and stand in a crowd of people to see the sail away party. But I did think it was interesting that even if it was set up for the sail away, it just didn't it didn't look like there was a ton of space there. It did not look like it would be the kind of sail away party you'd experience on Disney Cruise Line. So instead, uh, Nathan and I ended up going to our stateroom, which uh, I'll let Sam ask me about in a minute. Um, and we, the first day, what did we get up to? We got up to mini, we played some mini golf. Uh, so Nathan played some mini golf up on the upper pool deck area. So the pool deck is huge on this ship. And so this ship, the Independence of the Seas, is of the class immediately prior to the Oasis class ships. And so a f- the friend that I was sailing with explained that the Independence of the Seas is like a shorter version of an Oasis class ship. And so as they went up in class, they kind of get wider and longer. And the same is true of the class prior to the Independence of the Seas. It's like shorter and a little narrower. So it's got a very similar feel to some of the Oasis class ships, just not on that scale. And the main atrium is not open to the outside as it is on the Oasis class ships. There was an adult pool area that felt very like Grecian is how I would describe it. It was mostly enclosed, but without a roof and had lots of tile work, you know, a pool about the size of the ones that are on the Wonder and the Magic, but like bar spaces galore. So there's a main bar, there was a bar in the pool that you could like, not where they would serve drinks, but literally they had submerged bar stools in the pool that you could sit on at a little area underneath kind of like a bridge and have your drinks and bar servers were circulating constantly. Lots of deck chairs uh, on the adult pool area. Then there was a main pool area that would be very similar to Disney Cruise Line's main pool, you know, just kind of bigger because the upper deck was wider. A shallow area by the pool where you could sit or a deep pool where you could get in and and swim. Like I think four hot tubs around the main pool and then two hot tubs on either side of the adult pool and these kind of like two-story solarium kind of setups uh, that looked to be very popular for folks as we were sailing out uh, to sit in out of uh, any of the ports. So it goes adult pool, main pool from aft to forward. Actually, from forward to aft, it goes adult pool, main pool, and then splash pad area for the kids. And the splash pad area, massive, like not not Disney Cruise Line splash pad area, like, you know, true big kids splash pad area had its own hot tubs, you know, big buckets of dumping water, kind of like the splash pads that are on the Magic and the Wonder. I think they have that kind of goofy splash pad play area or Donald. Yeah. So big splash pad play area. And then all of that led into kind of the aft area where you had wind jammer. So great pool deck up up above the pool deck, a couple decks, there was a mini golf area on the front end of the forward end of the ship, I believe it was. And so we played some mini golf up there. It was nice. And it was, uh, I think a lot better than what Disney offers in terms of mini golf. It actually had like, you know, hit the ball into a slot and you might hit the right slot and it will like, you know, roll down and go into the cup kind of thing. And so Nathan had a blast playing mini golf. There were lots of people up there playing mini golf and he had a blast playing mini golf. Um, so we got up to that, did go to the pub on board. So there are lots of bar spaces 
on board. They're smaller than some of the bar spaces you'd find on Disney Cruise Line, but there's just like a lot of them. So on the main deck five where the mall area is, they had a wine bar, they had a pub, and I feel like they might have had one more bar that we didn't experience. And then down a deck, they have a massive sports bar with billiard tables and TV screens and a whole bunch of stuff going on in there. And they had a schooner bar, which is where they did trivia. So it was like nautically themed with like ropes and stuff. And then they had this uh, champagne bar, which you know, it really was like more like a lobby bar, but they called it a champagne bar. So we went to the pub, you know, great beer and wine. The drink package really made things easy because basically you showed your card, they'd give you your drink. Uh, the drink package covered my alcoholic beverages, almost any liquor I wanted. In fact, I ordered like a top shelf or a premium gin and tonic at one point, never saw a bill for it. So covered all my alcoholic drinks, covered soft drinks for me, bottled water, canned soda. Um, we got a refillable mug for soft drinks that we could use at the freestyle machines that they had throughout the ship. But if I didn't have that mug, I could just go up to a bar and order a soda and they give me a can of soda. Um, not like Disney where, you know, soda's free, but you have to go to the machine. You could go to any bar with a drink package and get whatever you wanted. In fact, if you said, can I have a bottle of water? They'd hand you three. So... Now, can I ask you, Brian, when you went to the pub, was Nathan allowed to go in with you? Yeah, they allow the kids in most of these spaces, at least at the times that we were there. But they also had like seating out in the mall area. So like imagine if you were at a bar and they had some seating outside, it was that kind of setup and they had zero problems if the kids were sitting at those tables. So we did, you know, have Will and Nathan there. They were sitting at a table outside. We were sitting at the bar listening to the music and they were playing on their devices. So um, the pub was the pub was really nice. I enjoyed the pub. I'd say I, I mostly enjoyed all of the bar spaces on board, maybe with like one exception. Let's talk about your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you book? And how would you say it compares to the staterooms that we've stayed in on Disney Cruise Line? Yeah, so Independence of the Seas is, is a little bit older. It has gone through one of their royal upgrade programs, or I, for, I forget exactly the name for it, but you know, or dry dock, refurb. Um, my friend was explaining to me that Royal focuses a lot on refurbing their public spaces and not so much their staterooms. And so that showed a little bit. The stateroom was pretty dated in terms of its color scheme and decor and some other things. But we had an ocean view stateroom, but on the front of the ship. And so nowhere near the size of the concierge ocean view staterooms on the front of the Wish, much, much smaller, probably a third of the size of that stateroom would be my best guess. So you walked in immediately to your left was the bathroom. It's a single bathroom that has a shower, toilet, sink. That's it. On the right, they had cabinetry. There was a cabinet that had shelf storage. And then there was a cabinet that had hanging storage. I'd say for a three-night cruise, completely ample storage throughout the stateroom. They also had like a dresser with drawers. They had cabinets on either side of that. So like there was plenty of storage. We didn't even begin to use all of it for just the two of us on a three-night cruise. And we definitely still overpacked. We, we had two carry-on suitcases and two carry-on backpacks with more clothing than we need. I was able to fit all of my clothing in one drawer and some of it hanging in the closet and all of Nathan's clothing in one drawer and put the suitcases in the closet and put our backpacks in the shelving unit. And I still had tons of space left over. The bed was a, you know, quote unquote, queen size bed. It, it's kind of that weird rounded shape 
bed where the bottom of it's rounded off so it doesn't quite feel like a king. They had split that into two twins for us, which was perfect for Nathan. The bed was fine, comfortable. I thought it was a little small, but you know, I didn't fall out of it or anything like that and was able to sleep just fine. The view out the front was great. We were a little off to the side of the the ship, but the view out front was was great and the windows were floor to ceiling, so you could you could, you know, get that nice view. Uh, I thought the bathroom was tiny. Nathan actually liked the bathroom because everything was in one place, unlike Disney where he had to figure out which bathroom he needed to go into to do what. Um I told him most people prefer that setup, but he liked that bathroom. The shower was kind of one of these things where you would get in and the doors slid in a circular pattern to give you a bit more space in the shower, but it was small. I also thought it was really odd that there was like a water pipe running in one corner of the shower, like that they hadn't hidden in the wall. And so it was like just there. Bathroom storage was okay. You know, it, it was fine. It was totally serviceable for a three night cruise for two people, one of whom was nine years old. I think Sam and I would have found it pretty cramped. And it was not at all clear to me whether there was like an alternative sleeping spot for Nathan if it had been both Sam and I in the stateroom. If like the max capacity of that stateroom was two people. Um, the couch was not of the kind that looked like it would fold into a bed, but I'm guessing there was some way they could convert that into a bed for somebody, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. The biggest, biggest complaint I have about the stateroom is a complete lack of outlets. There were two regular plugs and one European plug, no USB ports anywhere to be found. And so I was so glad I had debated beforehand, do I really need to pack two USB charging kind of hubs? And I did. And it was so helpful because we maxed out everything and I happened to have a European plug adapter with me and I used that too. So it was a real lack of plugs and there were no plugs next to the bed. So if you're plugging in your phone, it was on the desk across the room and you'd have to get up to get it and turn off the alarm and that kind of stuff. There was no place to plug in a phone by the bed. So stateroom overall, in my opinion, not as great as Disney. But I mean, I have to give the caveat if I didn't already. This is an older ship. <laughs> so we're not sailing on an Oasis class ship where I understand they've probably corrected some of this stuff. Um, they just haven't done it on this one from a refurb standpoint. Uh, the other thing I meant to say too is I think in terms of like soft goods in the room, like the couch had a stain on it. I didn't think the sheets were as, you know, soft and nice as the ones that we experience on Disney Cruise Line. The towels were definitely smaller and a little bit more thread worn. Uh, instead of having, you know, shampoo, conditioner and soap in the shower, they just had a combined like shampoo soap conditioner thing. Like, I don't think it was actually meant to be a conditioner, but it was like, wash everything with this, it said on the side. And so it just, it didn't feel like, you know, Disney's got a little bit of an upscale experience across all of their staterooms in that way that this just did not feel like. This felt much more like a, I won't say quite motel, but certainly not high-end hotel experience. Right. And just to be clear, you're comparing Royal regular sailing with Disney Cruise Line regular sailing, not concierge um, with either of them. Fair? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so let's talk about that evening because that evening, I know you you mentioned before you did not do any dinner in the main dining. So you did specialty dining for all three nights. Let's talk about night one and where you guys ate, what what you and what you guys did that night, and if there was any nighttime entertainment like show or anything that you went to. Yeah, so we didn't do specialty dining every night. We did specialty dining one night, but on night one, because we were all kind of still jet lagged and tired, we just decided to do the Wim Jammer buffet for dinner. And I definitely want to talk about the buffet experience because we did that a kind of a couple times. Wind Jammer is huge. So like Cabana is almost like two X, I feel like. And you know, that makes sense. The ship is I think holds a few more people than the Disney ships. It also had a ton of variety. 
Uh, I will say, in my opinion, the food quality for the buffet on Royal was on par with what Disney's buffet offers. And for me, it came out ahead just because there was a ton more options. They had multiple Indian food dishes for lunch, for dinner. They had a place where you could get hot dogs, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, full toppings bar. They would have, you know, main courses, soups, salad stations, cold cuts, like just a ton of options on the buffet. I won't say they got into like super high end options on the buffet. I didn't see any like crab or shrimp or stuff like that up on the buffet. Uh, They may have had it on embarkation day because that's kind of a popular thing to do, I think, on some of the cruise lines. But we didn't go there for embarkation day. But I definitely didn't see it on the days that we were eating there. Now, one of the reasons the Windjammer Buffet is so big and has so many choices is there is only one food option on the pool deck and that it was a fish and chips place that they had on the pool deck. And my friend explained to me that on some of the other ships, they have no food options on the pool deck. So whereas cabanas wouldn't serve you necessarily hot dogs and hamburgers because you go to the grill for that, they had to put that in the buffet. Right. And whereas you might get gyros or sandwiches or salads from some of the other poolside stations on Disney, that's all in the buffet. So the buffet was big and had lots of choices. I would still say, even if you took all the Disney pool food and combined it into cabanas, there were more options on the Royal Buffet than if you did that on Disney Cruise Line. And I thought the food was pretty good uh, on the buffet. Nathan certainly enjoyed his hamburger. I had some great Indian food. We ate there for breakfast, I think both days. Um, so I thought I thought the buffet was was really great. All right. Well, tell us what you got up to that evening. Did you go see any shows or any other bar spaces? What was the evening entertainment? And then also whether I would love to know if Nathan went to the kids club or checked out the kids club that day. Yes, we did open house at the kids club. And the best I can describe the kids club is it's just kind of like a multi-purpose room. There were like three or four different kids clubs. They were all in the same level and they were all in like these multi-purpose rooms that had, you know, they had some video game setups in there and things like that, but none of the theming that Disney would have. The one really nice thing about the kids club that Nathan went into is it was like nine to 11 year olds. So he's in the like Voyagers club and it was nine to 11. So I thought that like narrow age range was really good for him. And he will come on, I hope, later in the show and talk to you about his impressions of the kids club. But, you know, in terms of space and theming, like like Disney blows it out of the water for the for these kids clubs. But I did like the narrow age range. And I think that that drove a lot of Nathan's impressions of the kids club and he enjoyed it. I will say Royal was super smart. They put an arcade between the main entrance and the kids club. So the kids have to walk through the arcade to get to the kids clubs in the back. And I'm sure Sam will have questions about the arcade in a second. But uh, Nathan, we went to the open house. I think Nathan did go to the kids club on the first night for a little bit. Um, He can probably tell you better than I can. Um, There are shows. So they had, I want to say, basically two main stage shows. Now... When I say that, they have one main stage theater and then they have another space called Studio B. Studio B is actually an ice skating rink at sea. And so one of the kind of main evening entertainment acts that they have is an ice skating show. And the other entertainment they had on board that was a show type entertainment was Grease. I did see the ice skating show on one of the nights of the sailing. It wasn't the first night. I made it a point to go on the second night. I did not get a chance to see Grease. Part of that is because even with our dining time assigned, like Royal doesn't seem to do the thing where they make it go to 
dinner and see the show or go to the show and have dinner, like the times conflicted. So you had to choose like, am I going to eat in main dining and see the show and then go grab food at a buffet or am I not? And so on the first night, I missed the show because we had dinner at the buffet and then we grabbed some drinks in the sports bar, I think it was, and hung out down there for a little bit. And the kids went to the kids club. And then on the second night, we decided to do pizza for dinner. And that was the night I decided I could go to this the stage show. So they did have a pizza place on deck five. On the night after we were at Coco K, we decided to get the kids pizza. It, it, it's no different than Pinocchio's pizza or the pizza station on the wish. Same kind of thing. I think that was like the one area where I was like, seems like a missed opportunity because they had almost like a pizza parlor vibe, but you were just doing like pool deck pizza. Uh, I thought it would have been really interesting if they had done like made to order pizzas and had a little bit of variety and you get a salad or an antipasto plate or something like that. Like that would have totally sold me on it. The pizza was good though. So we did have pizza one night and I saw the ice skating show on that second night. But otherwise, we kept it pretty low key on night one because we were all kind of still jet lagged and uh, we had an early day at Coco K the next day. So let's talk a little bit about the arcade since you mentioned it was right outside of the kids club. I want to preface this by saying, the kids club, there's no extra charge for the kids club, just like on Disney. No, that is not correct. So the kids club has posted hours and a couple of weird things here on posted hours that I wanted to highlight, but kids club has posted hours. Kids can stay in the kids club for free up until 10 p.m. After 10 p.m., between 10 p.m. and 1 p.m., you pay $10 an hour for the kids to stay in the kids club. So if you don't pick them up by 10 p.m., you start paying a fee for them to stay. The other thing we noticed was if the kids club had a posted opening of like, I think one day it was like, call it 11 to 7 or noon to 7 or something like that. Like they had sessions. And so actually it was like noon to 5, 7 to 10, 10 to 1. Um, But Nathan went up at one of the times when it was supposed to be open and it was closed. And I think it was like if they don't have a lot of kids in there or some kids in there after about an hour of opening, they just close it. So it wasn't always like the times that were posted weren't always the times that were things were actually open. This also happened to us with the pizza place where in the app it said, oh, the pizza place will be open today from 11 to you know whenever. It'll open up at 11 for the rest of the day. And so we were like, oh, we need to grab Nathan a quick lunch before we did something. I think it was the ship tour. And the pizza place was not open. And when we got down there and it wasn't open, they had a sign up that said, you know, opening at one. So like the time in the app was not the actual time they were opening for the day. So that that was, I thought, a little weird. And I would say Royal Caribbean's onboard app um, it was it was like not intuitive for me to navigate and figure out where things were and and how to navigate it. It did offer onboard chat, which was a nice feature because our friends actually don't have iPhones, and so iMessaging wasn't working. Um, we didn't get a chance to try out whether or not iMessage would work if we didn't have the internet package, but we were using iMessaging. Nathan and I were using iMessaging throughout the cruise because we had the internet package. So and so also for Sam's question about the arcade, arcade was big, lots of games. Air hockey, ski ball, video games galore, claw machines, ticket games, like all this sort of stuff. Most of them cost two bucks to play or a buck fifty to play. And we found out Royal caps the kids at 50 bucks a day in the arcade, uh, unless you go and ask them to up the limit. So that was like a nice safety feature. Kid couldn't run up a thousand dollars in the arcade in a day. Well, so some interesting added costs between the kids club, I guess, after 10 p.m. and the arcade uh, all day and interesting placement of it, as you mentioned. So let's talk about day number two, because this is uh, probably the star of the show, I think, at least in the way that 
Royal bills it. Perfect day at Coco Key. So tell me, <laughs> and I know I'm laughing, but that's because Brian's smirking at me that it's Coco K, but obviously I refuse to call it that. Um, tell us, Brian, what you got up to on Coco Key, uh, the layout of the island. And of course, I know you purchased the water park as an add-on. And so I'd love to hear about the water park. Yeah, look, Perfect Day at Coco K, uh, I think I said this online, lived up to its name for Nathan. He loved it. I have mixed feelings about it. I loved the variety of stuff you could get up to. So Coco Cay was divided up into, I think as we got off the ship, like to our right, there was a big wave pool, which was in the water park area. I should preface, they have a water park area. You have to pay to access it. And the tickets, I want to say, were like a couple hundred bucks or maybe like 150 to a couple hundred bucks for the day for each of us. And I think they had a different price for kids. But you had to walk in, scan your ticket... And then sort of to the right when you entered there was the wave pool. They have a big, you know, iconic tower in the center of the island that has these huge water slides on it. I think it has like four or five water slides coming off of it, maybe even slightly more, including this one water slide that goes from the top of the tower and winds its way down and is super fast. It's like the one of the tallest water slides in North America. I think at one point it was the tallest water slide in North America. Um, they have a kid's splash pad, like obstacle course, water obstacle course area. And then they have another set of like smaller water tube slides in the back. And so that was kind of the water park area. Royals building a second adult beach. So if like you get off the ship to the right, I think is the area where they're building out a second adult beach. Straight in front of you is the water park that you have to pay to access with all of the stuff I just talked about. And if you had left, you start walking down paths that they have colored in some way so that you can figure out where you're going and you can get to one of several different beach areas. There's some like shopping area, like they they call it the straw market on the island that has a bunch of like, you know, Caribbean stores on it. They have a massive pool, a massive pool on the island that has a swim up bar and just just huge pool complex. Uh, so unlike Disney, there's like a freshwater pool you can swim in in addition to swimming on the beach. I, I cannot overstate enough how big this pool was. So if you've ever been to Vegas, it's a Vegas size pool on their private island. And then on the back end of the island, they got more beach area, including an adult exclusive area and all of the cabanas that sit back there. We start at the water park. We hit it early to avoid kind of lines, which is great. Didn't have a lot of lines. Uh, they also have a zip line that goes throughout the island. Although, side note, you have to bring closed-toed shoes in order to do the zip line, uh, which we didn't, we didn't bring. They did tell us that before we got off the ship, and I just figured we wouldn't do it anyway. But we start at the water park, rode the big slide. We rode a slide called the slingshot that you know, was in a, a tube that kind of shot you out one end and like you slide up this, uh, this kind of boomerang looking thing on one side and come back down into a pool. Um, Nathan did the obstacle course. We did the wave pool for a while. They had a little splash pad over by the wave pool. So I'd say for the first couple hours of the day, we were in that water park area. After the, you know, two, two and a half hours we were in there, we left and we went over to the big pool. Well, by the time we got over to the big pool, like every deck chair was taken. So we wandered around the entire outside of the pool until we found a couple deck chairs, sat down. And at one point, someone came over and just like moved our stuff so they could sit in like two of the deck chairs that we had reserved of the four for the four of us. I should say that that was not an abnormal thing on Royal. So I had on the last day decided to sit by the adult pool. And so I had a deck chair right by the pool and I was sitting in the pool. And when I turned around to look for my stuff, it was gone. 
And it was because some guy had come along, not a pool attendant, and decided he wanted to sit with his friends. And so he'd move my stuff a chair over without asking and had not moved uh, like all of my towels over. <laughs> so we can talk about towel. We should talk about towels in a second. So it was not unusual for people to just move your stuff if they wanted to take your chair, which I found really annoying. So we, we hung out the pool area for a while. My friend and I got a couple drinks at the swim up bar. The kids played tag in the pool. And then we decided to relocate again for lunch. And so we went to lunch on the island. And then from there, the kids wanted to play in the kids splash pad area. So we relocated again and found um, like a table in a bar that we were sitting at while the kids were in the splash pad area because it was the only place we could sit. There was no seating at the kids splash pad area, like no seating for parents or very, very limited seating. Uh, and then from there, we went to the beach. And lots of beach chairs, I should say, at the beach. The pool was the popular spot. Lots of beach chairs we found at the beach. We got down to the beach. From the beach, you can actually see, I think it was Norwegian Cruise Line's private island. Like you can see their ships docked. They have to tender end and you can see their island. And I think if you were a decent swimmer, you could swim from Coco Cay to their island and end up on their beach. The other thing I thought was really fun was Royal Caribbean had docks like out in the ocean, you could swim to and get on the platform and jump into the water. And so like people were hanging out on these like little platforms that were anchored to the ocean floor. Uh, Something I was like, Disney would never do this because someone would get hurt. So overall, it was a fun day. But my biggest criticism of Coco Cay, loved the variety of things we could do, but it was not relaxing to me as an adult with a child because we were moving constantly from place to place And these were not short distances to move between. And you were not guaranteed that you would have a place to sit once you got to the next place. That said, didn't even experience all of the island, didn't see all of the spaces. It is huge island, very huge. And they're building out more of it. You know, one of the things we love to talk about on this show, besides Disney Cruise Line, is Adventures by Disney or ABD. And our good friends and show sponsors over at My Path Unwinding Travel have an amazing promotion going on right now. If you've been thinking about doing an Adventures by Disney trip, now is the time to take a look. So for any trips booked through My Path Unwinding, traveling after October 1st of 2023, they are giving you some exclusive rates on Adventures by Disney. And I mean exclusive to My Path Unwinding Travel. So they've got some discounts on Adventures by Disney. They're also giving out a backpack to each family. You can check that out in their Adventures by Disney and National Geographic Expeditions Facebook group. It's been very popular. It's an Adventures by Disney backpack that they are able to give out, one per family. And we should say, all of this is in addition to any promotional rates that Adventures by Disney is offering. You can stack all of this stuff, but you'll get all of these great extras along with the My Path Unwinding expertise in Adventures by Disney because they've taken quite a few of them. So if you are interested in exploring Adventures by Disney, finding out what these discounts are like, just exploring the opportunity to take an Adventures by Disney trip, then head over to My Path unwinding.com slash DCL duo. So they know we sent you their way and let them know you're interested in adventures by Disney trip and they will help you out. We love the folks over at my path unwinding travel. Thank you so, so much for sponsoring this show. Now back to our episode. And you had mentioned to me earlier that there were two ships at the island at once. Did that seem to present a problem? And did you notice or find out if that was sort of a regular thing or just an occasional thing? No, very, 
fairly regular for Royal to have two ships. The island is designed to accommodate two Oasis-class ships at once. I can't even imagine if that happened, given how packed the island felt when we were there and we were on two, I don't know the name of the ship, but let's call them Freedom or Independence-class ships. Uh, So the ship docked with us was the sister ship of the one that we were on or a sister ship of the one we were on. And it island felt packed. Now, you mentioned towels, and I know there's something odd about the way towels work, both on the ship and on the island. Uh, Can you tell us how getting towels and returning towels works? Yeah. So Royal, you check out your towels. So you have to use your key card uh, to check out towels, which by the way, I should mention, their key cards aren't RFID. So you don't tap on your door, you insert it into your door. And then they have barcodes on the back in addition to the swipe stripe or whatever you want to call it, uh, the magnetic stripe. And they do a lot of scanning of that barcode to get on and off ship or for towels or whatever. So you have to check out your towels and you have to return your towels. And so if you return fewer towels than you took out, they can charge you. Now, I will say you walked up to the towel stand and threw towels into a slot and they scanned your card and, you know, marked you as done, right? So I'm sure that they're not checking that carefully. They don't seem to be. When you get off the ship, unlike Disney, you don't have to check out towels to take with you. You can check out towels on the island. Now, the one limitation of that is if you check out towels from a particular towel stand, you have to return the towels to that towel stand. You can't return them anywhere on the island. And so, again, with all the walking, we checked out towels from the water park. We had to return those towels before we left or else we'd have to walk all the way back to the water park to return them at the end of the day. I appreciated the fact that there were towels available all over the island. I ridiculous to me that Disney doesn't have the ability to provide towels on Castaway K, especially when if a rainstorm passes through and your towels get soaked, you're expected to walk all the way back to the ship to get new ones. So you could take towels off the ship onto the island or you could get them on the island, but you had to check them out. Same is true for the pool deck. You have to check out towels from a towel stand on the pool deck. And so when the guy moved my stuff, but didn't move all of my towels, I had to politely ask him to please give me my towel back because I didn't want to get back to the towel return and get charged for a towel if they decided to check how many towels I returned. So you have to check out and check in your towels on Royal Caribbean. I feel like we need to hear about the food on the island um, and how it compares to Disney. Yeah. Again, I, I hate to say it, but this was a place where I think Royal pulled ahead. I love cookies on Castaway Key. And I think the food on Castaway Key, I think it's, it's delicious. People, some people complain about it. I think it's fine. It's burgers and hot dogs and like, you know, it's barbecue food. That's what you want. Royal, though, has the same thing, except that they have more stuff. So you can still go get your hot dog hamburger. They have French fries, which Sam pointed out when I mentioned that to her. Disney doesn't even have French fries on the island. And I didn't realize that's true. Um, So, you know, Nathan was content with his hot dog hamburger. And then as we were leaving, we were like, I have a taco bar. So Nathan's like, let's make a taco. And so we made tacos. And then there was a panini station, right? And so there was a lot more food. Op- I mean, they had a whole bar of salads, like a whole bar. It's not a salad bar, but a bar of salad, different kinds of salads. There was just a ton of food options. And that doesn't even count like the snack stands that they have throughout the island where you can get all kinds of stuff. I didn't even get a chance to try any of those. And I hear that they're actually really good. Um, So they had snack stands throughout the island. They had these main barbecue spaces that had tons of food options, including everyone's favorite soft serve ice cream machines, Um, tons of bars, tons of places to get drinks. And so, look, I love Castaway Key and the food on Castaway Key. I, I enjoy it. But this just had so many more options to it. It's hard not to see how Royal doesn't sort of pull ahead in that 
category. All right. Well, let's talk getting back on the ship and what you did that evening. Um, I know you mentioned it was a pizza night for all of you. And then I think the ice skating show. So I feel like we need to hear about the ice skating show and whether or not you checked out any of the other spaces on board. Yeah. So a couple of things that I did on night two, actually. So one, I checked out the ice skating show. I look across the board on entertainment. I got to give Royal thumbs down as compared to Disney. I mean, I guess I only experienced the ice skating show, so I can't really comment on Greece. The ice skating show was, I will describe as a bad PowerPoint slideshow with decades music and ice skating. So I want to start by saying, look, the ice skaters on board are very talented people and they are doing some really amazing stuff. And especially when you take into account the small size of the rink that they're skating in and what they're able to do in that rink and train themselves to do in that rink. It's impressive. It's impressive to have an ice skating rink at sea, period. That said, the show itself was basically just them doing numbers in decades costumes to decades music. And so they started off in like, I want to call it the 40s and then went to the 50s and then the 60s and the 70s. And that's it. Didn't even make it to the 80s or the 90s. And so, I mean, look, all songs that if you've listened to an oldies station, you'd be able to sing along to. But it was basically, you know, a, a four to five act show going decade by decade by decade with like a little slide presentation going on with like headlines and video and stuff like that from the decade. But basically each act of the show had like four songs and then they did a switch. There were, I think, eight skaters out on the ice at any given time. And basically the pairs rotated through their sections. And so at some point, each pair was kind of in the lead position for the show. So I don't want to denigrate the show in terms of the talent of the performers. I just think that like what do you recall, the script they're working with is not the greatest. It felt like something I would have seen on like a celebrity cruise back in 07 when we were still sailing with my parents. It just it felt like an opportunity to upgrade that show. Space was lovely. Drink service inside, you know, Studio B. So that was nice, especially with the drink package. Enjoyed the 45 minute show. It's just, you know, I, I don't think it holds a candle to anything that Disney does. After that show, however, we so we ate pizza for dinner and then I went to the skating show and then I went to the escape room. So I did book the observatorium escape room at sea. And I got to say, I went in with, I think, moderate expectations for it and blew me away. Like the escape room was super well themed. I think Sam discovered that the company that does the escape rooms on Royal is based here in Seattle. And after she said that, I was like, that makes sense because I've seen escape rooms like this on land here in Seattle, uh, but I've never seen something like this done, you know, at sea. The theming was unbelievable. It was on like the top one of the top, top decks of the ship above a space called Olive or Twist. So Oliver Twist, but Olive or Twist, a martini, a big, massive martini bar that they have on kind of this observatory deck toward the aft of the ship that looks out over the whole ship in the ocean. One floor above that was the escape room. When you walked in, it looked like a massive library with a gigantic telescope for an observatory. Everything was super themed out. The puzzles were all, you know, highly mechanical. And so like, you know, like one of them was taking books off of a shelf and uh, I don't want to give it away, but like when you got, when you solved the puzzle and did the thing you needed to do, like a box on the other side of the room pops open. Right. And so there are basically 10 people in the escape room. We had to solve four puzzles. And once we solved all four puzzles, like we won. Uh, and so we did win. We solved all the puzzles in under an hour. But I, I just can't stress enough, like the theming in this thing was amazing. 
like dear Disney Cruise Line, if anyone could blow this out of the water, it would be you because I think Disney has the imagineering expertise to go above and beyond in this kind of a thing and the technical chops to do it too. And so I would love to see an escape room at sea on one of the Disney Cruise Line ships. I think they could really knock it out of the park, but Royal is doing a great job on that escape room. And actually, after the escape room, one thing we have not talked about at all, the casino. So Sam has forgotten about the casino. So I did go to the casino. I don't know that I went on night one. Actually, I think I played a little bit on night one. And then uh, I did go the other two nights for a little bit. Uh, The casino was, you know, I'll call it like a full service casino. It had a bar, it had slot machines, it had table games of every variety. The table games, you know, they had three card poker, they had craps, they had roulette, they had blackjack, they had some sort of Texas Hold'em poker game, but not like actual poker. I'm sure that they run poker tournaments in there because that seemed to be popular when uh, we used to play on the casinos at Celebrity. So I spent some time in the casino. I will say biggest downside of the cruise is... The casino, in my opinion, like I am just not a casino person. I, I and I say that having won money, you know, walked away even or ahead at the casino, and actually enough money that it pretty much covered my folio on the cruise, you know. So I, but I just didn't like. I just I didn't think it was needed. Uh, it, it was a fun place to go have some, you know, entertainment in the evening. But you know, I mentioned earlier in the show that my opinion kind of evolved about the cruise ship over time, and I think after playing in the casino, I realized. It's not that I'm in a shopping mall. It's that I'm in a Vegas hotel. That's ultimately what the cruise experience on Royal felt like to me. Like I was in a Vegas hotel. And so as I sat in the casino, I was like, I mean, is it fun to be here? Sure. But I can't see the ocean. There's nothing particularly cruise-like about this experience. And it is the one place on the ship where people can smoke with just abandon. I should also say that one side of the pool deck is the smoking side on the ship. And the other side is the sort of non-smoking side. So if you made the mistake of walking down the wrong side of the pool deck, you were just walking through kind of a gauntlet of smoke. Uh, So smoking on the ship turned me off quite a bit. The casino, you know, even coming out ahead, I was like, it just didn't feel necessary. The other two things I checked out that night were they were doing trivia in the schooner bar and I kind of watched for five to 10 minutes. It was, you know, general pub trivia kind of stuff. Uh, It seemed like people were having a good time. Bar was packed. The other thing they had, though, is they had kind of an like a space like Azure lounge, like front on the wonder. And they were doing karaoke in there, but they weren't doing the kind of karaoke that many of us are used to. That was live band karaoke. So they had a live band. You signed up, the band would play your song, you would sing your song and they had a dance floor. And so Nathan and I watched that for a few minutes that evening. And the guy who was singing was just killing it and people were dancing and having a great time. And I knew instantly Sam would love that uh, kind of activity. So Live band karaoke on board was a ton of fun. So, yeah. All right. Let's talk about NASA Day. That was your last full day on the cruise before disembarkation the the following day. What did you guys get up to? I know you didn't get off the ship in NASA, but what did you do on board? So we didn't get off in NASA. We had thought about getting off in the afternoon. So we had this ship tour booked in the middle of the day, which I'll talk about in a second. We thought, oh, after the ship tour, we'll get off because this friend I was sailing with had not gone into Nassau before. It was like, I just want to say I got off in Nassau. Let's go get a drink at Senior Frogs or whatever. But the ship got in at 8 o'clock and its departure time was 2 p.m. And that is like I was... Are you kidding me that we have to leave Nassau at 2 p.m.? Disney can make it from Port Canaveral to Nassau in a day. I didn't understand why Royal couldn't make it back to Port Canaveral without leaving before 2 p.m., but apparently they can't. 
we just we couldn't get off the ship because there was just no time to really do it. So we got up and had a buffet breakfast. We slept in a little that morning because it had been a you know bit of a later night the night before, and we jet lagged still. So we slept in a little bit, grabbed a buffet breakfast, and then. I think we played some more mini golf because Nathan wanted to play some more mini golf or he played mini golf with his friend. I think it was, um, I just kind of hung out. I can't remember what I did that, that morning, but we didn't have a ton of time because we had a ship tour at 11:45 AM that we met up for the ship tour, super unique. So you sign up for it in advance. I think there was a small fee for it as well. You sign up for it in advance. You meet up, you're led by some guys. It was like 10 people, but we got to see the bridge we got to see the galley. We got to see the engine control room. They did not take us into the actual engine room for safety reasons, but we got to see the engine control room. Uh, we got to see the main dining room. And I think I said the galley, but th- those were the kind of four big areas. Oh, the laundry. We got to see the laundry as well. Uh, so we got to see the infamous I-95, the big corridor down the middle of the ship where they can you know, haul things through quickly. Uh, the laundry facility was crazy as well. Um, you know, they're talking about how they have like a floor for the dirty laundry and a floor for the clean laundry and special machines they designed to be able to like press shirts in under a minute using steam. It was it was really interesting. We got to see a liquor storage area in the the hold of the the ship. The engine control center was crazy. Just everything around you that they can control from the engine room. I never knew, for instance, that the chief engineer is in control of the ship when they're in port. Uh, he has control of the engines. He has to give control to the bridge. There's actually a like a dial down in the engine room that he has to turn to give control over to the bridge for departure. And if he doesn't give them control, they don't have control. <laughs> the engines, which I just thought was really fascinating. Um, the bridge was really amazing. It was huge and like lots of unused space. And just it was just a really fascinating thing to see. And they had a staff captain up there, or a first officer up there talking to us about the bridge. And crew was so giving of their time to answer questions. Um, I thought it was well worth taking the tour. The only downside was that it felt a little disorganized at time. Like they were constantly having to call to make sure they could go into places. They had to bring security multiple times to wand us before we would go into sensitive areas of the ship. And I was like, why did we get wanded once to get wanded again? Uh, but, you know, security is important. So I get that. But it just at times felt a little disorganized. Oh, and we saw backstage at the ice skating rink. So we got to see the mini Zamboni they have on board to resurface the ice. So I thought it was fun. It was long for kids. If you're thinking about doing this tour with kids, Nathan was clearly getting bored at times. And it just it was really long for him. The afternoon, Nathan wanted to go to the kids club. That was when it turned out it was closed. And so he ended up just kind of wanting to hang out in the state room and play in the arcade and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I let him do that. And I sat by the adult pool. Um, I wanted to relay the comment I made to Sam, which was that the adult pool provided endlessly more entertainment than the shows that I saw on board the ship. You know, this was a three night cruise, so it had a bit of a rowdy crowd to it, I felt like. But I was hanging out the adult pool at the tail end of the belly flop competition in the main pool. So Royal does a belly flop competition that everyone kind of loves to go watch. I hit the tail end of that and then was hanging out in the adult pool. And several of the contestants of that came over to the adult pool and decided to make it their own belly flop competition, which ended up causing more lifeguards to come and officers to come. And some people got kind of booted out of the pool and talked to a little bit, although that did not stop Royal from serving them more drinks afterwards. And so anyway, it was just more entertaining than anything else I saw on board the ship. The adult pool was crowded. The main pool area was crowded. Um, I wouldn't say the pools themselves felt super crowded, but like the deck spaces felt very, very crowded um, in the pool area. So I hung out by the pool for the afternoon. 
And then I think I got Nathan and I all packed up before we went to dinner. This was the one night we did the specialty dining. We did the hibachi grill. Uh, it was a small space. I want to say they had maybe like six hibachi grills, uh, you know, tables. If you've ever been to like a Benihana, it's like a, you know, big flat top grill. And then they've got seating kind of around three sides of it. I think it sat maybe like 10 or 12 people. I can't remember exactly. It was like two, four, two, I think it was. So whatever that, eight people, eight people at the the grill. Um, I'll say the interaction that we had in the grill, the food was good, enjoyed the food. But normally you're there for kind of a bit of the show. And the guy that we had doing the grill did a little bit of that, but not a ton of it. Uh, so those who've been to Hibachi before, probably expecting the onion volcano, didn't get one of those for some reason. He didn't do any fun tricks with the shrimp that they usually do. It, I don't know. It just it was it was good food. I'm glad we did it. It was really fun to see at sea, but I didn't feel like the chef that we had doing the sort of show aspect of it was very was very good. So, but it was fine. We enjoyed the food after dinner. I hit up the casino for a little bit again. We were going to go get drinks up in the Olive or Twist bar because I'm a big martini fan, um, but we just didn't make it up there. And afterwards, we kind of called it a night, I think. So one thing we haven't talked about is internet. Um, I want to talk two things about internet. One is how does it compare to Disney as far as you know, what you can stream or download or upload or whatnot. So sort of internet speed. And then the other thing is sort of cost of internet, if you remember sort of how, how it compares with Disney. I mean, it was included for me in the key. Uh, I think I did look at the pricing and it was fairly similar to what Disney has, maybe even a little bit less expensive. I mean, they don't have tiers. They either had you get internet or you don't. And if you get internet, you get high speed internet. And so I want to see it was like maybe 90 bucks for three days worth of internet, which is, I think, comparable to what Disney has for the high speed offering, maybe even less. Yeah, you could do it all. I FaceTime Sam on the internet with a video call and you know, cut out a little bit here and there, but it mostly worked. I uploaded the podcast twice because uh, I use one service to mix it and then I have to upload it to our actual hosting service. And uh, on Disney, that's taken me an hour to 90 minutes and I did it twice on the ship in under 30 minutes uh, for both times. Uh, so the internet was fast. It was pretty flawless. It worked on the island really well. In fact, the island had terrible cell service, but the Wi-Fi seemed to work pretty well throughout the island. And on the ship, I really never sort of dropped coverage. There were a couple of times I reset the Wi-Fi on my phone and, you know, it was fine. But it was, yeah, it worked well. So I think the big question, now I think we've covered all the topics, but I think the big question now is, Brian, do we have to rebrand ourselves or can we still stay DCL duo? Yeah. And so this is something I've wrestled with. So one, I've only, this is my first ever Royal experience. And so I don't want to pretend like I have enough information about Royal to make a decision about like, do I love it more than Disney Cruise Line? I will say based on this experience, however, I enjoyed our Royal Cruise as I've been thinking about how to talk about this. I think I did myself a disservice by walking onto the ship and immediately starting to compare Royal Disney, Royal Disney. Like I know that they get compared a lot. I know we compare them a lot, but I left thinking it's just really fundamentally two different experiences. And even the experience I had was fairly unique because it's like a three night. I don't want to call it a booze cruise, but that was clearly the atmosphere. Bachelorette parties, groups of friends together, trying to maximize their drink packages. But it was two different experiences. I would say Disney Cruise Line feels like going on a luxury vacation experience with really good food, with really great experiences for families, ways for adults to unwind, you know, rotational diet, all that sort of stuff. Like that's the experience on Disney. 
On Royal, it felt more like I'm going to a Vegas hotel. I'm going to have casinos and have lots of bar options, you know, good pools, you know, fun times, decent food. I mean, Vegas actually is known for their food, but you know, decent food or mostly good food. But it, it just it felt like it was a different atmosphere. I think the moment that stands out for me is that we were in that like fifth floor atrium area and there was just like a dude eating ice cream. In his shorts, no shirt. I don't even think he had sandals on. And I was like, you would never be in the atrium of Disney's ship and see some dude shirtless like walking around. Or if you have, please let me know. But I have never seen that. And that's essentially the equivalent experience, right? It means decks below the pool. So I I enjoy my royal experience. Yes. Was it anywhere near the experience I've had on Disney Cruise Line? I think I still prefer Disney because I go on cruises to relax And I would say this was not the most relaxing cruise I have been on. It felt like a lot of go, 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 go. Like I think I got about two hours of relaxation in the adult pool. Otherwise, you know, we were moving around, doing stuff just constantly. And so I think it's fun if that's what you're looking for. And in fact, I really do want to go on one of the Oasis class ships to experience that. I'd like to go on a longer sailing to see what the crowd is like. Um, I'd love to see what the kids clubs are like and the staterooms are like on those Oasis class ships. I'd love to experience a suite class on Royal Caribbean and see if that's different because I've heard that on the Oasis class ships, they have a dedicated suite class restaurant that is supposed to be some of the best food. In fact, people say, don't go to main dining, just go to that restaurant if you're in suite class. I'd love to experience all of that stuff. I would sail Royal Caribbean again. I think you know the other thing to think about is price, and so I was looking up, as I said at the beginning of the show, and to look up. So like our cruise fare was call it about two thousand dollars for the two of us to stay in this like ocean view stateroom on the floor of the ship, which again nowhere near as big as the ones on Disney. Uh, I think we had another call it nine hundred to a thousand dollars worth of add-ons, um, and so you know call it about three thousand dollars for the cruise outside of, you know, flights and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, maybe another five to seven hundred dollars worth of onboard expenses, thirty five hundred dollars. So like it does come out pretty close to what you could sail on a Disney cruise for. I don't know that you could get ocean view for that cost on a three night Disney cruise, but but maybe. So, you know, if if it's equivocal in terms of price, then Disney. If you're saving money, Royal wasn't wasn't terrible. I would do it again. I actually kind of enjoyed it. Uh, and now I'm waiting to see if I start to get some of these casino offers from Royal Caribbean because my buddy told me if you run about two or three hundred dollars through their casino, they'll send you these outrageous casino offers to get you back on board the ship. So um, would I do it again? Yes. Do I think there's value there? Yes. Um, I didn't price out the comparable Disney cruise, and I would say if for whatever reason they were within five hundred dollars of each other. I don't know that the value is there for me for for Royal. With that, I think we need to talk to Nathan, though, Sam, and get his impressions. Nathan has rebranded himself as the RCCL kid or the Royal Caribbean kid. He really liked his time on Royal, I think. So, Nathan, can you come over here and why don't you give me your impressions real quick of the Kids Club on Royal versus the Kids Club on Disney? Well, the Kids Club on Royal, I like the games a lot more. But unlike the Kids Club on Disney, it's much smaller and you have much less free time. Like on the Disney ships, you have the entire time. You could do whatever you want. You can craft, draw, or play games. On Royal Caribbean, you get like a, you get like 20 minutes or something of free time and then you have to, and then you play the game. So much more structured time in the Kids Club. Uh, I also think, Nathan, you liked it a lot because the kids were closer to you in age than some of the kids on the Disney ships at times, right? Yeah. What did you think of the food on 
Royal Caribbean on the ship and on the island? I mean, if I had to say which one was better, I'd say they were equal. But you like the taco bar on the island quite a bit, I feel like. Yes. Their island, I feel like, is much better than Castaway Key. Why do you say that? Because it has a giant water park, much more pools and a beach, and the food there, you have lots more choices. Yeah, I have to agree with Nathan that the freshwater pool and water park was really nice to have because like, I don't love coming down those water slides at Pelican Plunge into salt water in my eyes. And so I think it was really nice to have that freshwater option. What did you think of the beach though, Nay? Actually, I like the beach at Castaway Key more because they have like floaties. And also if you get a cabana, you get like sand toys and stuff. But at Coco Cay, there is not that, there is not that much like cool stuff at the beach. It's mostly the water park. And what did you think about the pool deck on the Royal Caribbean ship versus the pool deck on a Disney ship? I like the um, pool deck on the Royal Caribbean more because they have like a little splash pad and they have some pools and hot tubs. I think it's a big splash pad. I think think it was a pretty big splash pad. What do you think? Yeah, because it was like it took up like half of the top deck and it was actually a little, it was like a little smaller than the splash pad they had at Coco Cay. All right. Last question, Nathan. If you had to choose tomorrow to do a cruise on Royal Caribbean or a cruise on Disney, which cruise would you do? This is a hard decision. I would have to say Disney Wish. Disney Wish. All right. Disney Wish still comes out ahead, confirming my opinion that the Disney Wish is one of the best ships out there for kids and families. Uh, So yeah. Nathan, anything else you want to say about your Royal Caribbean cruise before we let you go? It was pretty fun, but also I think I know why they put the kids club at the end of the arcade. It's so that when you're walking to the kids club, the kids might get tempted by the games and decide to play one of the games before they go to the kids club. I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. But, you know, speaking of that, was having an arcade on the ship a plus or a minus? A plus. And I meant to ask you, too, what did you think of the ship tour that we took? It was pretty good, although although they don't have that many places to sit. So during it, your legs get like really sore. And one last question. We ate at the pizza place. We ate the buffet. We ate the hibachi grill. Which was your favorite place to eat dinner? It's a tie between the pizza place and the hibachi grill. All right, there you have it. Thank you, Nathan, for spending some time with us. You're welcome. I f- one other thing I forgot to mention in terms of food on the ship is that they had a Ben and Jerry's ice cream place on the ship, which you know Disney does not. So in addition to like soft serve or the Disney offering of like sweet on you and its similar you know spaces, they had Ben and Jerry's on the ship, which is great. It costs a little bit. But it was like I don't know two bucks for a scoop of ice cream, which is not terrible. Uh, it's also fun because the Ben and Jerry shop has a roof out over it that has two cows standing on it. And there's a room right behind it that has a window that looks onto the cows. And so basically, if you open your window, you're staring at the cow's butts. 
And so apparently Royal Caribbean gives a free Ben and Jerry's ice cream to the people who booked that room for the duration of the cruise because they have to stare at that every time they open uh, their windows. The the art on board the ship too is all like very modern and very, it was a lot of fun art. They had some really fun little art installations. So not Disney theming at all. It was, you know, different modern art kind of stuff. The other thing they had on board that really, really makes it a heart tugger for me in terms of which ship I go on is they had a Starbucks and I am totally addicted to Starbucks cold brew coffee and my beverage package included it. And so I was able to get my cold brew coffee every morning from Starbucks uh, as opposed to having to pay for it at the uh, the Cove Cafe. So anyway, with that, I think I'm done with my review of the Royal Caribbean ship unless Sam has any more questions for me. I guess my one question is, when are we going on Royal so that I get to try all this stuff? Well, I invited you on this cruise, but you opted to stay home for a mom's weekend. Uh I think we'll have to look at doing it for spring break 2025 because we got a lot of cruising ahead of us on Disney that's already booked. And that's probably the first slot in our dance card that's not fully taken. So, um, but I do want to get Sam onto a Royal Caribbean ship to get her thoughts. So, All right, Brian. Well, thank you for coming on the DCL Duo podcast as a guest. We look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks for having me. A big thank you to all of you out there for listening this week. We really, really appreciate it. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. We'd also love it if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you hit those five stars, that's great. If you leave us a written review along with a five-star review, we will be sure to read it on the air at the end of one of our main episodes. If you're hovering over anything less than five stars, we really want you to reach out to us so we can take your feedback. Best way to do that, head to dclduo.com to find all all the ways to connect with us. It links to our podcast, our vlog, our blog, has all the ways you can connect with us on social media, has our Etsy store where you can find our fun beach bags and magnets that we designed as enthusiasts of each of the Disney Cruise Line ships, has a link off to our Patreon. If you'd like to help support the show, we really truly appreciate each and every one of our Patreons for helping to support the show each and every month, has a link off to our show sponsor, My Path Unwinding, where you can get more information about booking a fabulous vacation, which also really helps to support our show. All the things are there, including a way you can sign up to be a guest on the show if you'd like to share your Disney Cruise Line experience. Most importantly, you can always email us at dclduo at gmail.com if you'd like to connect with us, or you can call our voicemail line if you'd like to leave us a message. We love to include the voices of our listeners in our show. Just dial 402-413-5590. That's 402-413-5590. And that will head straight to our Google Voice voicemail line. The DCL Duo podcast is not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Disney Company, or the Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Disney company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent or the great folks over at My Path Unwinding Travel. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with a DCL duo. Good night. Good night.